Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. As our society ages, so too is it more common that children are taking care of their parents. But too little attention is paid to the large number of kids who are the caregivers to their sickly parents, grandparents, or even other siblings. In fact, in February 2009, even the New York Times wrote an article that many of us are unaware of the true number of children in the United States who are providing such care. Dr. Connie Sikowski is the director of the American Association of Caregiving Youth, an organization that works to provide, and I'll read from their website, the support of children who are caring for ill, injured, elderly, or disabled family members. Let me give you the website. It's www.aacy.org. That's www.aacy.org. Okay, Dr. Sikowski, these are really kids. They aren't adults taking care of their elderly parents, are they? No, they are children, and we focus our work on children in middle school and then continue with them as long as they continue to be a caregiver into high school. What type of statistics exist about this problem? How many kids in our country are caregivers? Well, there's only been one a national study that was done. The research was conducted in 2004. It was released in 2005 called Young Caregivers in the U.S conducted by the National Alliance for Caregiving and United Hospital Fund, and that documented that there were at least 1.3 million children ages 18 who are caregivers. However, we feel that that number is very conservative because a more recent study in 2009 showed that of about 35 million uh, caregiving households, 30-something percent had children under the age of 18, and if children are in the home and there are family health situations, then in fact, they're participating in care. These are huge numbers. They are huge numbers, and not all children, while they may mostly, they're more affected in single-parent households if a single parent gets sick, in lower-income families where families may not have the resources uh, for long-term care. There's really a variety of situations that lead to children caring. We also have many more grandparents who are raising grandchildren, and then what happens when the grandparents get sick, the role reverses. So the problem, I guess, if we were just to look at the statistics themselves, the problem has to be growing because people are living longer and longer, and people aren't, it's a harsh way to put it, but people aren't dying from illnesses as as readily or rapidly as once upon a time. That's true, and there was a recent statistic that showed that of older adults age 65, 20% are living in multi-generation household. So that number has shifted. I think part of it is from the economy where families have started moving together. Another factor that isn't really frequently taken into consideration is that if an older or disabled person is living in a family and that family is dependent upon the social security or disability income and perhaps that person could be cared for better in a skilled facility, the family doesn't have the means to give up that income. So it becomes um, complicated at a multitude of levels. Let me ask you specifically when we talk of a caregiver as a child, are we looking at someone who is in elementary school or junior high school and who has to come home and do shopping and cleaning and maybe even bathe the sickly person? The range of responsibilities 
is very consistent with a range of adult caregiving responsibilities, including activities of daily living. And so we use a level of responsibility based on other types of activities the kids engage in and the time per week that they spend. And so we focus our resources on children in the highest levels, levels three to five, and typically they're spending 20 hours a week at least and doing at least one activity of daily living. 20 hours a week taken away from a kid, that should be 20 hours a week of homework, playing sports or something like that? Yeah, it should be 20 hours of fun. So they wind up having to juggle their school, which should be their primary job to learn, as well as the other responsibilities that they're faced with. And in school, they experience the stresses that adults do when they're at work, where they may be in school but not able to focus and learn as they should. I saw an interesting note that school nurses are often thought as the first professionals to identify the youthful caregiver. And and that may be true in some schools, uh, school nurses. We've had published an article in the Journal of School Nursing, but it still is pretty much off of the radar screen, and it's not really looked at. So, for instance, they may come to the nurse with a stomachache or a headache or fatigue, mm-hmm. and not always uh, do people in schools or really anywhere look behind that to see what is going on that's causing that. It's not part of our differential diagnostic list. Correct. So Yet. Yet, exactly. And one of the things that struck me as I was reading this as well is that if a kid is really taking care of a lot of issues in, in the help of caring for someone who's sick, is who teaches the kid how to do this? I mean, who teaches them how to handle emergencies or pay bills or, or set up appointments and so on? It seems like where's the model? Who do they learn from? And that's part of their struggle, and that's part of what we try and help them with. Our project is unique because it tries to bring together healthcare, education in the community, body, mind, and spirit, because healthcare doesn't really pay attention to a child's ability to learn. What goes on in terms of family health situations are beyond the purview of our schools, and then the community has the resources and the ability to bring it all together. Tell us, if you would, then, about your caregiving youth project. And before you do that, I want to jump in by giving the website for that, www.cyppb.org, cyppb.org. It's called the Caregiving Youth Project. Please, I'm interested in this. The Caregiving Youth Project was created using this model and with a recognition that of what we've already discussed, that it's beyond what the kids are dealing with is beyond the purview of any one system. So we're really working toward social change and a change in behavior, and we all know that uh, change is very difficult. So the project, it works in partnership with the school district. We selected middle schools based on original survey that I had done back back in 2002 to target those schools that had the highest prevalence of kids with family health situations who were participating in caregiving. And so we provide services in school, out of school, and at home so that in school we will provide skills building classes or support groups. We have lunch and learn sessions. We have other classes that teach stress management, life skills, communication skills, things like that. For families, that will allow us because our program is totally voluntary and it has to have parental permission. 
So we have a social worker and we have those who speak Creole and Spanish who can go into the home to validate the role of the child, but also, more importantly, to link families with resources. We look at the need for respite or other in-home services. We've provided computers, tutoring, mentoring, and some solutions for special needs that we never even expected. For instance, we've helped two families get clean water. And then at a school, we have provided time for fun as well as education. We have an overnight camp. Kids have gone on fishing trips. We've done health and wellness days, holiday parties, other things, which really give the kids a break. So actually for them to, to be able to have transportation and participate in an activity becomes a form of respite for them because they're able to get out of their situation even briefly and be a kid. It's an interesting concept, and what's really nice is that you're a very hands-on program here. Yeah, we are. It would seem that a lot of the kids, they must suffer a, a lot of emotional baggage, so to speak, from if this if someone isn't there to help them, you know, escaping from life, less social participation, maybe some secrecy and anger and mood swings. And, and your social worker and your other people get in and they actually bring these up and address them before they become difficult. One of the most important things is for the kids to discover that they're not alone and that there are many, many others even in their own school that are facing these situations, but it's so hidden that it's never talked about. And as you get into middle school and high school, you sure don't want to be different. And so kids wind up hiding things. I've had even adults who had a caregiving experience as a child tell me that they've lied to their friends that, oh, dad is away consulting, not that he's home disabled in a wheelchair or bed. The same thing goes when one of the parents has a substance abuse problem. The kid's got to clean up after the parent or always be yeah. there. That, that's very difficult. And without recognition of that role, it's more difficult. But when kids feel that they're recognized and valued because they have a value not only for their family but also for society, and our goal is to support them and recognize them and help them to be able to stay in school because we all benefit as they do when they're able to graduate and fulfill uh, their life dreams and be successful. So that by valuing the skills that they are learning, it gives it, it helps to empower them and give them confidence. Kids have said that they're not as shy anymore. They learned some social skills. One of our board members was a youth caregiver, and he said that he learned to multitask at a very young age. And so he's able to use that now. Interesting, very interesting. We hear a lot about this in dealing with the patient as they are alive, but what happens when someone dies, when the parent dies? Is, is there any sense of how the kids handle this? Oh, thank you for asking that question. When a child, just as an adult, has been a caregiver and experiences a death, it's very different for them. The loss is really extreme. And uh, when we developed our program, we envisioned that we would be able to refer students who had experienced a death to hospice programs or bereavement programs. But because we've been with them for years, their primary relationship is with us. And so 
we are in the process right now of developing transitional program to provide them that support that they need until the other resources are available. Personally, I discovered my grandfather dead at 2 o'clock in the morning, and that had a profound effect on me. You wrote about that, on, and it's posted on the website. Correct. And not too long ago, we had a uh, girl who went home after school and found her mother dead. We have a sister project, an affiliate project over in Pinellas County, Florida, and one of the principals there recounted the story of a child who he didn't know was a caregiver. And until a neighbor came to school looking for her, her mom had died that night and she didn't know what else to do. So she just came to school. You know, as I'm listening to you, what comes to mind is that we're making these kids feel truly, as the word you used earlier, not alone. It's terrifying enough as an adult to go through these things. But when you're a kid, it's all out of the role conflicts are all wrong. The, the chronology of it all is all is all wrong. You're not supposed to do that when you're a kid. Right. And you don't have the experience bank to draw on. Interesting. Kids are generally pretty resilient most of the time, but I can imagine even this can erode that resiliency. And they get frustrated and they get angry. You know, why me? Why my family? And so resentment builds up and sometimes this resentment can be taken out on family members or it's taken out in school because they have no other release and then they get labeled as bad kids, again, without looking beneath the surface of why is this happening. So the diagnosis is wrong and the label accordingly is wrong and then the emotional effect of it can be very nasty and long-lasting. Right. Is there any data about the psychiatric effects or makeup of these youthful caregivers? Are they more likely to, in in formal studies or formal experience, more likely to show anxiety or depression than their peers? Do we have any data? Well, our studies have shown that. There's also a new report. There's a poster on our website from a student at USF who did a survey of 300 and some college students and compared those who were not caregivers against those who were or had been. And there were statistically significant differences in measurable depression. And we know that the reports all over the place of a kind of intense adult family caregivers experiencing about 60% depression. So our hope is that by addressing some of these issues early and supporting uh, the children, that we can work towards prevention of this depression. Have you been able to follow up into early adulthood any of these kids? And the question that comes to my mind, and you might not have data to this effect, but the question, because they were caregivers, as they went into their own personal relationships, their own professional relationships, did they look and say things such as, please, it's now my time in life for someone to take care of me, or the flip side, that they insist on controlling things. Let me do that because it's always the way I've done it. Do you have any data on that? Yeah, we don't really have data yet because our program is young, so we're just to the high school uh, level rather than having kids who are older. Okay, so how would someone go about getting connected to an organization like yours? I know you are in Southeast Florida. Are there 
other organizations throughout the country, or is there still a paucity of such organizations? There's really no other organization that we're aware of except our affiliate program in Pinellas County. Some of the disease-specific organizations, such as National MS and Alzheimer's Foundation, have dedicated areas to uh, children. Alzheimer's Foundation began AFA teens. I think the dysautonomia group has a group of kids who have been identified So our goal is really, now that we know that our model has been proven, is to be able to replicate our project and to develop an affiliate network so that we can share our work and that more kids can be reached and supported. I suppose that one of the ways that this could happen is if there is someone who suspects there is a child who's a caregiver and having the problems that you address, they could go to your your website, download it, and then go talk to a responsible adult, a pediatrician, a teacher, whomever, and perhaps copy some of your techniques and talk to you and see if we can get this idea expanded a little bit. I agree with you entirely that it is almost like a hidden epidemic that people aren't aware of. That's correct. It is. And it's growing and the changes in the economy are forcing it to grow more rapidly. In fact, at some schools, as we did our initial survey this year, there were more kids that reported being a caregiver than not. Well, the problem is clearly there, and we thank you for bringing some light to it. Dr. Connie Sikowski is the director of the American Association of Caregiving Youth, an organization that works to provide support for children who are caregivers. Let me give you that website again. It's www.aacy.org, www.aacy.org. Dr. Sikowski, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome, Dr. Strauss. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye.